All right, let's do this. Uh, can we uh, maybe turn to the person beside us and let's talk about uh, what valleys we've been through. And remember, we talked about two weeks ago, valley being the lowest point, right? And we talked about how, you know, whatever things that we've been through, difficulties this year, you know, the valley is really kind of that low point in our lives. And so if we can kind of just open ourselves up, be vulnerable, maybe share this year what has been your valley and what have you learned from the valley. I know it's not one of those icebreaker type of questions. It's very deep, but I think it'll be of great help to us. So can we turn to the person beside us? I'll give you a few minutes, and if you, can, you guys can talk, that'd be great. All right, if I can have your attention back over here, please. It's good to know that our church loves to talk. We love to converse. We love to share. I think that is a tremendous blessing to be able to do that. All right, so the message this morning is entitled Valleys, Volume 2. If you remember, about two weeks ago, we talked about the truth about valleys, right? And I hope that was a tremendous help to you. Well, we're going to continue that same vein as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. It's Valleys, Volume 2. Now, this summer, uh, Pastor Wilson actually did share that uh, we'll be going on vacation. And so our vacation, actually, as a family, is going to consist of actually visiting college campuses. My daughter is uh, entering high school as a freshman, and uh, I don't want to embarrass her too much, but I'll do Scoshi just a little bit. Uh, she wanted to actually look at some colleges. And so, of course, being an Asian dad, the dream would be not to force that, but also just to hear that my daughter wants to do that. So we're going to visit UCLA and Berkeley and Stanford and USC, and we're going to go look at all, all these different colleges. And so we're pretty excited about that. But in light of that, I thought about this. Um, I'd like to do something a little bit different. I don't want you to see me as Pastor Dave uh, this morning. What I want to do is I want you to imagine me as your college recruiter, okay? And I've done this kind of thing before, but this morning, I am your college recruiter. And so I want to introduce you to a very special place. Get it? It's called... Valley Community College. All right, so just a warning, okay? This morning, I'm going to be very corny and very cheesy. If you like corn and cheese, you're going to love this, okay? But if you don't, then just bear with me, okay? Just be irritated in the spirit, but still learn stuff, okay? We're going to talk about Valley Community College, and I know what you're thinking. I've never heard of it. Why should I even go there? I go to Cal State Fullerton, I go to Chapman, some of you college students would say, I'm not interested in another school. Well, as your college recruiter, I want to say that this is a place that you will register at some time in your life. As a matter of fact, every child of God goes there in some way, shape, or form. And trust me, it's a place that you're going to go. Okay? You might say, well, I graduated a long time ago. I went to Stanford. I went to Harvard. I don't really need this. No, as your college recruiter, I want to share with you the funny thing about this is it doesn't matter if you've graduated, right? It doesn't matter if you've uh, already had an education in some ways. This is a place that you're going to find yourself in many times. Now, have I piqued your interest yet? This place is completely unique. It's not like any other university you've ever been. So as your college recruiter, I want to give you seven characteristics of attending Valley Community College. Seven distinctives 
that we're going to look at, and then we'll be done this morning, okay? So the first one is, if you're taking notes, write this down. At Valley Community College, the founder and the chancellor is God Almighty. You see, God established this place from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, as soon as mankind fell into sin, right, and became fallen creatures, he established it. And God has been using this ancient place to develop his people, prophets, evangelists, kings, pastors, generals, judges, teachers, sages, scribes, elders, doesn't matter. This place has been a place where they've all learned at Valley Community College. And the most unique thing about this place is God is a hands-on administrator. So everything happens in a way that he sovereignly ordains and administrates it. And just like the name suggests, can we look at the next one? This is a community school. At Valley Community College, there's open enrollment. You know what that means? It means it doesn't matter your background. You can come from anywhere and from any walk of life. Some of you will be excited about this. doesn't matter your GPA. God will teach you whether you're highly intelligent or you're dumb and you have a low IQ. doesn't matter, okay? doesn't matter about your race. As a matter of fact, God has been teaching Israelis and Persians and Romans. He's been teaching Babylonians, Africans, Asians, Europeans. He's been teaching everybody at Valley Community College. Doesn't matter your sex. He's equal opportunity for both male and female. As a matter of fact, your age doesn't matter either because there is no age requirement at VCC. As a matter of fact, no one ever completely graduates. Oh, depressing, isn't it? There's always continuing education at Valley. The only requirement, let me get this, is this is for God's community. That means that this community school is also a private school. The student body is made up of the family of God. And so if you haven't come to a place where you've been born spiritually into the family of God, this place is not for you. As a matter of fact, it's not going to make sense to you because you have to be a part of God's family in order to be deeply developed. In other words, for the non-Christian, a valley is by fate. It's by chance. A valley can be through karma. But there's no divine hand that's purposing these valleys. But for the Christian, for the child of God, it is a place where your heavenly father sovereignly does this for a purpose. And so let me give you another one. Number three, Valley Community College. You're wondering where it's located, right? It's located in the wilderness, far away from the city lights, from the busy, bustling, beautiful places way, way, way far away from civilization. It's very backwater, out of the sticks. It's in the wilderness where it's dry and destitute and isolated. That means the mascot for Valley Community College is a fugitive, okay? It's not a Bruin, right? It's not a Trojan. It's a fugitive because that's the kind of person that finds themselves in the wilderness. Last time, we learned what a valley is. The valley is the lowest point of our lives, It's theologically the lowest point. It's geographically the lowest point. It's emotionally the lowest point. It's a place where we feel uncertain and uncomfortable, where we're tempted to fear and fall into despair. And a valley is a place where many times physically we've expended all of our energies, we're worn out, and we feel vulnerable. 
And can I share this with you? Being your college recruiter, I know this. No one wants to go to Valley Community College. Not a single person. To be honest, it's not your first pick, is it? Where do you want to go? Everyone wants to go to Mountaintop University. That's the place where you want to go, right? It's fun. It's exciting. It's glamorous. It's really a luxurious place here on earth. And if you had to choose between Valley Community or Mountaintop University, which one would you choose? Well, Mountaintop University, of course. The problem is, and here's my college recruiter nest coming out, you don't really learn much there. Mountaintop University can be a party school. You see, at Mountaintop, you're tempted to get distracted. At the mountaintops, you fail to keep learning and keeping a learning posture because things are so fun and so easy. Isn't it interesting that mountaintops won't really prepare you for success spiritually? That mountaintops can't really adequately develop you for, uh, for real-world cha- real challenges that you face? You know, the last time we studied, we said it's in the valleys that you always look up. The posture that you have in a valley is that you look for your salvation. You look for your help. Well, today we're going to study that it's in the valleys that things grow the best. Think about it. All farmers and vine uh, vineyard growers and shepherds and cattlemen, they'll tell you the same thing. That geographically, valleys have the richest soil. They're fertile. Uh, they're fertile in the ground. The valleys agriculturally produce the best things. It's not on the mountaintops that things grow the best. It's actually in the valleys. And it's spiritually the same thing. We grow the best. We learn the most in the valleys. And you see, the valley is a college. And here's my point. The valley is a college because it is there in the valleys that you are most open to learning life's lessons. My point is that valleys are learning times. So if you're in a valley, don't despise it, Christian. Because it's in these valleys that the Lord teaches us lessons for spiritual growth. He grows us deeply in those places. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at this growth in the life of David. And we're going to look at three places that David goes while he's in the valley. Okay, So follow along with me if you're taking notes. The first place he goes to is he goes to Nob. He goes to Nob. Let's look in chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. It says, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission that I'm sending you on. As for my men, I told them to meet me at a certain place. And so here, David goes to the town of Nob. This place is interesting because Nob is really a priestly town. It's where all the Levitical priests lived at this time. All the families of the priests resided there because that was where the tabernacle was. So David is fleeing to a priestly sanctuary. He knows that God's servants are there, and he wants to get help from them. I want you to notice another thing about Valley Community College. Can we put it up? At Valley Community College, the professors are former teachers. The professors are always alumni. David is our ethics professor at VCC. Well, you might say, how does that work? Well, you know, one of my favorite books, a book that I always recommend to, to any Christian, is a devotional book called Divine Mentor by Wayne Cordero. Have you ever read that book before? It's an excellent book. I Please, <clears throat> I suggest that you read it. The book 
Divine Mentor is all about how the characters of the Bible and how the stories in Scripture act as mentors for our lives. And this is what Cordero says. I love this. The school of wisdom has two teachers. Number one teacher is consequence, and number two is testimony, okay? Consequence and testimony. Now, consequence is the harder teacher. He's the meaner teacher of the two. Consequence can be a tyrant and more unforgiving because consequence is when we personally mess up and we experience the consequences of our sins, of our mistakes. So although we can gain wisdom through consequences, the price is extremely high. The results can be very devastating. It can leave you injured and scarred and full of regrets. And Cordero uses this idea, if a kid runs full speed into a concrete wall, the consequences are broken bones. Now, testimony is the wiser teacher. He's the better teacher. Because we can learn through others who have made the painful personal mistakes and have paid devastating consequences. So Cordero says instead of running into a wall, we can learn from that same kid who broke his body running through a wall so that we don't do it ourselves. And so God has placed his professors in the Bible, his divine mentors, so that they can teach us through their testimony. Do you understand what's happening? Colin Cowherd, one of my favorites, and I know Wilson really likes him too, sports guys, uh, says, either be a shining example or a horrific warning. Both will work to teach us, right? A shining example or a horrific warning. And the Bible is full of shining examples or horrific cautionary tales that gives us wisdom as we study its life. So we are wise in heeding the instruction that they teach us. We learn what not to do as much as what we do. And we avoid a lifetime of pain and regret. Here, David, in going to Nob, in going to Gath, in going to Adullam, is Professor Testimony, who teaches us ethics by his experiences. And in Nob, he teaches you what not to do. That God uses his foolish choices to teach us so that we don't follow the same mistakes when we're in the valleys. So let's look now at the passage as David goes to Nob and interacts with the high priest Ahimelech. Let's continue reading in verse 2. And David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Verse 3. Now then, what do you have? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Drop down to verse 8. And David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. I want you to notice, first of all, that David lies. That David deceives the high priest, Ahimelech. And he deceives and he lies because he wants to get help. Now, you might say to me, what's wrong with that? I mean, these are stressful times. These are unfair times for David. Saul is trying to kill him for no good reason. And desperate times calls for desperate measures. You might say, David, uh, give David a break. All his supports are gone, right? The, the um, wife, McCall, is gone. The mentor, Samuel, is gone. The BFF, Jonathan, is gone. His career as a commander is gone. I mean, it's logical and understandable that if no one helps him, he needs to seek out help. Don't be nitpicky and legalistic, Pastor Dave. It's not, it's not fair for him, so he has to lie 
And you know what happens when we think this way? What we're saying is the ends justifies the means. It's when we go through desperate valleys that our temptation is to focus on ourself. The ends justify the means. We begin to cut corners on our Christian life. We stop consistently living out our discipleship. What happens when valleys come? We're tempted to stop praying, to consistently communicate with Jesus by saying, you know, God's not hearing me, and I'm too busy fixing this to pray. We might discontinue our devotions, consistently hearing from Jesus. You might say, I feel distant from the Lord. Why should I read my Bible? We detach ourselves from church. We, uh, that consistently meeting in a community of faith where we say God is not faithful. He doesn't seem to care about me. Why should I meet with other Christians? Maybe in a valley we pick up old habits, those harmful addictions that we have shied away from, and we think to ourselves, well, God has to understand. I mean, I'm in a valley, right? God, I'm stressed out. I need this. God will forgive me. I'll just ask for his forgiveness later. And so what we do is we find in Nob our propensity for the flesh. We slowly, surely excuse sin in our lives. And we forget that the valley is meant to be a refining place. It's meant to be a teaching place to grow us closer to God. But instead what happens is the valley can do the opposite. We can become tempted to run away or to flee from God and to focus on the inward. To focus on ourself. And David succumbs to this self-centered mindset. Now, I want you to notice the result of this. In verse 7, look at it. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. I want to fast forward in, 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 in this to chapter 22 and verse 9, okay? Chapter 22 and verse 9. We're going to move forward in the future so that we can gain perspective. Let's look in verse 9. But Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, at Nob. Verse 10, Ahimelech required of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And then the king sent for the priest, Ahimelech of Ahitub, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. Verse 12, and Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, yes, my lord. Verse 13, Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword, and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as it is today? Verse 14, Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected of your household? Was that day the first time I inquired for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. Verse 16, but the king said, and get this, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Verse 17, then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand and strike the priests of the Lord. Verse 18, then King Saul ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Verse 19, he also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men, women, children, its infants, and its cattle, donkey, and sheep. What just happened here? 
The whole town is massacred, all because of David's little white lie. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't seem fair to say that. Well, I'm not saying that David meant to do this or that David could have seen this happen. It was Saul's fault, and he was actually treading on that which is completely evil, right? Massacring the people of God and the priests of God. Imagine the paranoia that must have led to him slaughtering a whole town. But here's my point. David's focus is on self. His little white self-serving lie contributed to all this. As a matter of fact, we see in verse 20, and this is when he's in uh, Adullam, okay? This is later on. We're fast-forwarding here in verse 20. But one, uh, but one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to join David, verse 21. And he told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. I want you to notice David's response, verse 22. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would surely tell Saul. You see, David looks back in hindsight, and you know what he realizes? That he was caught up in a self, selfish mindset. That he was caught up. He wasn't even thinking about anybody else. And he's, here's what he says in verse 22. I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Imagine all the pain and regret of what selfishness can do to others. You see, if there's anything that David learned in the valley, it was that the ends never justifies the means. So that's what he learned here. He goes to the next place. Let's look at it. David goes to Gath, okay? From Nob, David moves to Gath. Let's look in verse 10 of chapter 21. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Now, this sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Because that city sounds very familiar, right? Isn't that a Philistine city? Wasn't David's opponent, that champion from Gath? Oh, yeah, Goliath of Gath. So what in the world is David doing in Gath? Let's look in verse 11. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands? So even the Philistines are perplexed. What is David doing here? Verse 12. David took these words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Verse 13, so he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Verse 14, I love this, the ancient sarcasm. Achish said to his servants, look at that man. He is insane. Why do you bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? You see, the only way that we can explain this episode in David's life is that he's completely desperate. The valley has affected his reasoning. The selfish mindset of Nob leads him to Gath, where he is making poor judgments. Think about this. David, God's champion who defeated Goliath of Gath, David, Israel's captain, who defended them against the Philistines in the Philistine city of Gath. David, at one time, fighting against the Philistines. Now he's dwelling with the Philistines. And by the way, when you, the word Philistine is used, it's always a picture of the world. It's always a picture of that which is anti-God. What is David doing in Gath? Here's what I want you to catch. And I want you to notice the digression. If you're taking notes, this is priceless. Get this. At Nob... David's focus is on self. At Gath, David's focus is on the flesh. 
You see, at Nob, David's focus is on self, so he excuses sin. At Gath, David's focus is on the flesh, and he begins to live in sin. Let me say that again. At Nob, David's focus is on the flesh, so he excuses sin. At Gath, David's focus is on the flesh, where he begins to live in sin. And this is exactly what will happen in our lives if we're not careful, because the valley is is a temptation for us to excuse sin in our lives. And if we tolerate it, if we allow it, we will begin to be immersed in it without even knowing. Let me give you an example. We find ourselves in a valley of loneliness, so we, we excuse lustful thoughts. And pretty soon, we are immersed in pornography. We are uh, caught up in the addiction, the sexual addictions that we never intended. How did we end up in Gath? We're caught up in a financial valley, so we excuse cutting corners and impropriety. And that toleration leads to cheating on our taxes and eventually embezzling from our company. How did we end up in Gath? We're involved in a marital valley, so we excuse the attention of a coworker, And before long, we're having an affair with a person that we never intended to. How did we end up in Gath? We're in the middle of a valley of doubt. And instead of persevering in faith, Despite the silence of God, we drop out of church. We, we stop hanging out with other believers. We quit running the race, growing in Christ. And before we know it, we're living like a non-Christian, swimming in apathy and unbelief and disobedience. And we think to ourselves, how did I end up in Gath? These are true stories of people that I've talked to and I've counseled. It is so easy for us in the valleys to end up in Gath. Why was David in Gath? Because the valley is a catalyst. It can either lead you to self or the Savior. It can draw out either flesh or faith. You see, valleys can develop either a madman who pathetically drools down his proverbial beard, or the valleys can develop a man of God or a woman of God, a person who knows that God is using this for a purpose. You see, it's your decision when the valleys come. You see, when the valleys come, the world tells you, don't just stand there, do something. You've got to scheme and connive and manipulate and cook up something to get out of this valley. You've got to escape from loneliness. You've got to escape from this uh, struggle or this tragedy that you find yourself in. You've got to escape from persecution or illness or doubt. And so the the focus then becomes focus on self. It becomes focus on flesh. And that always leads to sinful solutions. This is why David is caught up in Gath. You see, the world tells us, don't just stand there, do something. But you know, when the valleys come, God tells us the exact opposite. He says, don't just do something, stand there. Exodus 14, 13, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen? In Psalm 37, verse 7, it says, don't fret when evil people succeed in their ways. Stand still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. God tells us, stand there. Trust in me. Wait on me. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Search out scripture for my promises. Persevere to live for me. Be what God has called you to be for that day. Don't just do something. Stand there. And this is what David is learning through the valleys. Do you know how I know? Because David goes to another place. Let's look at it. David goes to Adullam. Let's look in chapter 22 and verse 1. And David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, 
where his brothers and his father's household heard about it, and they went down to him there. Okay, so remember, I'm your college recruiter. Let me give you another truth right here. Number five, okay? Cave dwelling 101 is a required class, excuse me, at Valley Community College, okay? The absolute requirement that you see as curriculum is cave dwelling 101. God's will is for us to be cavemen and cave women. Hey, let me ask you something. Do you feel like you're in a cave? Because in valleys, you find yourselves in caves. And caves are very primitive, aren't they? You have rock-hard beds. For David, it was a literal rocks that he, that he slept on, right? You know? Stone-cold furniture. Dirt walkways, right? And here we see that David is in a place that is very uncomfortable. However, living there, living in a cave, will change your life. See, the Bible says David left the worldliness of Gath. And in verse 1, it says he escaped to a cave. Imagine David is in a cave. And you wouldn't think of escaping to a cave. A cave seems more like a jail than anything else. It seems like something you'd be imprisoned in, right? When we think of caves, it's not great places that we want to be. But the word escape means to be delivered from. It has the idea to be set free from a snare. So it was in the cave that David found his freedom. Here's my point. Many times God puts us in caves to reroute our lives. Our perspective can be clouded by distractions. We may even be tempted to live in the flesh when we're on the mountaintops of success. And so what God will do is he will use a cave to get our attention, to pull us away from our dependence on the world, to break the addictions of materialism and flesh. It's in a deep, dark cave, a deep, dark, excuse me, discipline of a cave that you will finally learn to do things God's way, that you will learn to die to self, that you surrender your will to the will of God. You see, what cave has God placed you in? Our perspective many times is, oh, I can't believe it. God, take me out of this cave. When the perspective of God is, I put you in this cave so that you can learn to have a deeper relationship with me. Can I get an amen? Are you with me? Okay, let me give you another one. Number six, David's classmates, what did they look like at VCC? Did you know he had classmates at this school? Chapter 22 and verse 2. All those who were in distress or in debt or disconnected gathered around him, and David became their commander. About 400 men were with him. You see, not only did the cave of Adullam cure the fleshliness of Gath, It also cured the selfishness of Nob. You see, when you're in a cave, when you're in a valley, the last thing you want to do is help people. You naturally want to isolate yourself and have a pity party. You want to focus on yourself and feed the self. But I want you to notice that God sovereignly brings people for David to disciple. And I want you to notice that these aren't the cream of the crop people. They're in distress. They're as stressed out as David. They're in debt. They're desperate and needy. They're disconnected. That means they're bitter and resentful and angry. I want you to notice that this was a tough bunch of people that God sent David's way. He didn't send them the cream of the crop. When you're in a valley, God will send you those kind of people. Have you noticed that? God will expect you to focus on those people that he brings your way. And as you disciple others, you start growing the most spiritually. You know, I, I don't have a lot of time to share, but just by way of reminder, you know, I, you probably heard my story before. When God called me into ministry 20-some years ago, 
I had no idea I would go through so many valleys. I had all these grandiose dreams and ambitions that I thought God was going to do, and God placed me in valley after valley, right? And I've seen a lot of stuff, and valleys aren't fun. I, you know, went into depression. I had ulcers. Uh, you know, there's scars emotionally that I felt in a valley. But, you know, I want to say this. In hindsight, though, I see that God has produced two things in my life. Number one, humility, and number two, gentleness. Those two things I would not have had in dealing with people unless God placed me in the valleys. And so my core values, I can honestly say, were born out of the valley experiences of my life. And it's the same with you as well. How did David's classmates turn out? In 2 Samuel chapter 23, and I want you to do this maybe when you get home. Would you just take a look at it? Just because in 2 Samuel 23, we catch a description of what we call David's mighty men, right? His elite troops that helped David win his victories. Now, have you ever thought about this in studying the mighty men? Who were these guys? Where did they come from? Here's my point. Many of them were the very men who came to David at, at, at Adullam. They were the bitter stressed out, desperate, visionless people. Those were the same guys, his core. Not everybody, of course, but many of them were those people that God sent to him early on in that cave. And you know what David did? He discipled them, and he turned them into his core men, and he trusted them throughout his reign as king. What a transformation. Let me ask you this. Why has God sent you this or that person while you're in the valley? You know, the flesh will tell us, focus on self. But if we live in the spirit, we can see God is sovereignly providing something. He's doing something. What do I need to get on tune with with God? You see, God wants us to disciple and to build up and develop people spiritually as we're in the valley. Can I get an amen? I know this was long, okay? So one more and we'll be done. Number seven, at Valley Community College, there's a school song. Every college has it. I remember when I lived, uh, uh, when I lived uh, in the Midwest, um, we used to go to basketball games and football games at the University of Michigan, okay? And we used to sit in the student section. And they had this song called Hail to the Victors. How many of you know that song? I'm going to sing it, okay? It goes, Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail to Michigan the leaders and best, rah, rah, rah. Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail to Michigan, the champions of the West. Okay, that's, that's how it goes. Oh, you can clap for me. That's, that's all right. All right. That's a school song, right? And every school has it. In Psalm chapter 34, we see the school song of Valley Community College because it was written by David as a worship song after he left Gath and he went to Adullam. And I can imagine that he wrote this and he taught it to these men. It was a reflection of his experience in the valley. I want you to listen to the truth that he learned from the valley. In Psalm chapter 34, let's look at it. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard and saved him out of all of his troubles. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It is a profound song when you think that David wrote this as a result of the valleys that he went through. You see, we said that in the valleys, there are learning times. The valleys are the places we grow the best. It's in the valleys that our attitudes are changed and our lives are rerouted and transformed. And I want you to notice from the life of David that we should never despise the valleys that God places us in. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? In the quietness of your own heart, I want to ask, is God teaching and developing something in you at Valley Community College? Are you ready to learn that thing that God is doing in your life? Father, I thank you for this time that we've had. And I thank you that we could look into your word and we could see that valleys are not accidents. Valleys are rather appointments that you place us in. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.